Section number 50 of A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Naomi Brewster, Melbourne, Australia. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3, by Henry Charles Lee. Book number 8 chapter three part two spheres of action protestantism mysticism and illuminism which about this time commenced their development in spain furnished another source of accusations of lutheranism due to their common tendency to cast aside the observances of sacerdotalism and to bring the sinner into direct relations with god but this field of inquisitorial activity demands separate consideration. Meanwhile, the above cases will probably suffice to indicate the way in which Catholics, who had no thought of wandering from the faith, fell under suspicion of partaking in the new heresies and were consequently subjected to persecution more or less distressing. It would scarce be worth while to follow in detail the long succession of those who had similar experience. The case of Carranza has already been discussed. Fray Juan de Regla, confessor of Charles V at San Just, and one of the witnesses against Carranza, was imprisoned by the Saragossa tribunal and was required to abjure eighteen propositions. Fray Francisco de Villalba, who preached the funeral sermon of Charles V, was denounced for Lutheranism and was saved only by the protection of Philip II. Miguel de Medina, one of the theologians of the Council of Trent, was so orthodox that in his Disputatio de Indulgentis he ascribes to indulgences a virtue so great that without them Christianity would be a failure. Yet this did not prevent his prosecution for defending certain propositions thought to savour of Lutheranism, and, after four years' detention, he died in prison with his trial unfinished. All these were cases of good Catholics, whose prosecution is attributable to the hyperesthesia of orthodoxy. As regards the real Protestantism, there was necessarily a double duty, one with respect to its literature and the other to its professors. The former will be discussed in the next chapter and it suffices here to point out that although there was as yet no organised censorship of the press, the possession or reading of any of Luther's books was forbidden under pain of excommunication in 1520 by Leo X in the bull Exurge Domine and this was extended to the works of all his followers in the recension of the bull of Senna Domini by Adrian the Sixth. We have seen the flurry produced in 1521 by the dread of the introduction of this literature into Spain, and it would appear that there was a demand for it, or that the German heretics were endeavouring to create one, for in 1524 we hear that a ship from Holland for Valencia, captured by the French and recaptured, was brought into San Sebastian, when two casks of Lutheran books were found in her cargo, which were publicly burnt. 
Some eight months later, three Venetian galaxies brought large quantities of similar books to a port in Granada, where the corregidor seized and burned them and imprisoned the captains and crews. As yet, however, there seems to have been no definite penalty, save the papal censures, for possession of this forbidden literature. We have seen Juan de Vergara similarly surrendering what he had. In 1527, we chanced to find a commission issued by the Suprema to absolve a fraile from the excommunication thus incurred, and in 1528, a similar one for the benefit of the Lyceador Fray Diago de Ostudio. As regards heretics in person, the relations of Spain with the Netherlands and Germany at this period were too intimate for it to escape their intrusion. The earliest case I have met occurred in 1524 when a German named Blay Estive was condemned by the Tribunal of Valencia. Again the same tribunal in 1528 tried Cornelius, a painter of Ghent, for saying that Luther was not a heretic and for denying the existence of purgatory, the utility of masses, confession, etc. He had not the spirit of martyrdom but pleaded intoxication and that he had abandoned in Spain the errors which he had entertained in Flanders. He was sentenced to reconciliation and perpetual prison, and in the papers of the trial there is an allusion to the prosecution of Jacob Torres, apparently another Lutheran. Valencia, in 1529, had another case in the person of Malcor de Württemberg, who came there by way of Naples. He preached in the streets, saying that he had searched the world in vain for a true follower of Christ and he predicted that in three years the world would be drowned in blood. He was probably an Anabaptist, and, when on trial, he admitted that he had visited Martin Luther to learn whether the Lutheran sect possessed the truth. The tribunal referred the case to the Suprema, which replied that if he held any Lutheran errors, justice should be done. If not, the case was trifling, and a hundred lashes would suffice. The papers are imperfect, and we can only gather that he denied Lutheranism and escaped with the scourging. Cases of this kind were doubtless occurring in the various tribunals, but it was some time as yet before systematic action was taken by the Inquisition. Clement VII addressed a brief, May 8, 1526, to the Observantine Franciscans, empowering them to receive all Lutherans desiring to return to the Church, who were to be reincorporated on accepting salutary penance, and to be absolved and relieved from all the penalties decreed by Leo X and by others. This was evidently designed for temporary effect in Germany, and although sent to Spain, it was too subversive of the exclusive jurisdiction of the Inquisition to be observed there. The earliest action of the Suprema to protect Spain from the dissemination of the new heresies would seem to be a letter in 1527 to the provisor of Lugo and of the Dominican provincial and Franciscan guardian there, about the heretics arriving at the Galician ports and ordering them to inquire after Lutheran books, which they were required to seize. 
Corunna was one of the chief ports of commerce with the northern seas, thus calling for special watchfulness. And, though a tribunal had recently been provided for Galicia, apparently on this account it seems not to have been in working order. Still, the heretics continued to come, and the Suprema issued, April 27, 1531, a carta acordata instructing the tribunals to publish special edicts of faith, requiring the denunciation of persons suspected of holding Lutheran opinions. Apparently the time had arrived when some definite position with regards to the growing danger had to be taken. There seems to have been doubt felt as to the authority of the Inquisition to deal with it, and as to the policy to be observed towards these heretics, for a brief was procured July 15th of the same year from Clement the Seventh, empowering Manrique and his deputies to proceed against the followers of Martin Luther their photos and defenders, and a clause to this effect continued subsequently to be included in the commissions of the Inquisitor-General. The brief, moreover, extended Manrique's personal jurisdiction for this heresy over archbishops and bishops, although these were not to be arrested and imprisoned, and penitents were to be relaxed in accordance with the canons, while those who sought reconciliation were to be admitted with due punishment, and could even be dispensed for irregularity and be relieved of all disabilities and note of infamy. There was evidently as yet a disposition to treat these new heretics with special tenderness. For some time as yet the labours of the Inquisition in the suppression of Lutheranism were confined to foreigners, the most conspicuous of whom was Hugo di Calzo a learned Burgundian doctor of both laws and author of serviceable Reportario de las Leyes, which saw the light at Valladolid in 1538 and again in Alzala in 1540. In 1532 he seems to have been prosecuted without conviction at Toledo, but fell again under suspicion and was finally burnt in 1551. It is true that Queen Mary of Hungary, sister of Charles V, did not escape suspicion, but the earliest undoubted heretic recorded of Spanish blood would seem to be Francisco de San Roman of Burgos. Engaged while still a young man in business in the Netherlands, his affairs took him to Bremen, where he was converted and became so ardent a proselyte that after various adventures he undertook to convert Charles V at Radisbon. Persisting in the attempt, he was sent in chains to Spain, and as he refused to recant, there was nothing to do with him save to give him the fiery death that he courted, the first of the few Spanish martyrs to Protestantism. Carranza attended him at the stake and urged him to submit to the church, but the ferocious crowd pierced him with their swords, a not infrequent occurrence at the auto de fe. We have no dates, but an allusion to Charles's expedition to Tunis would seem to place his career about 1540. Nearly at the same time there appeared another, who was classed as a Lutheran, although he seems to have worked out his heresies independently. All that we know of Rodrigo de Valero 
rests on the unreliable testimony of gonzalez de montes who describes him as a wealthy youth of Librilla near seville suddenly converting from the vanities of the world to an assiduous study of scripture and the conviction that he was a new apostle of christ his special heresies are not recorded but they lead to his trial by the seville tribunal which confiscated his property and discharged him as insane he continued his apostolate and on the second trial he was condemned to perpetual prison and san benito here in the obligatory sunday attendance at mass he contradicted the priest until to silence him he was recluded in a convent at san luca di Paramida, where he lay until his death valero was not without importance for he was the perverter of juan gil or dr Igidio, the founder of the little protestant community of seville which came as we shall see to an untimely end Igidio was a magistral canon of the cathedral and a man of the highest consideration for learning and eloquence indeed he was nominated by charles v to the see of tortosa which was vacant from fifteen forty eight to fifteen fifty three on his post-mortem trial in fifteen fifty nine evidence shows that as early as fifteen forty two he had preached to the nuns of santa clara on the uselessness of external works denying the suffrages of the saints and stigmatizing image worship as idolatry a letter of charles to valdez from brussels january twenty five fifteen fifty shows that Egidio was then on trial in seville charles ordered valdez to investigate the case personally in seville and consult him before concluding it all of which must be done speedily for that church tortosa must be provided with a prelate charles's solicitude shows that the matter was regarded as important Egidio, in fact, was the centre of a little band of Lutherans whom the Inquisition was eagerly tracking. The Suprema wrote, July 30, 1550, to Valdez at Seville, urging him to expiate the case, and adding that it had written to Charles about the arrest of those in Paris and Flanders implicated with Dr. Egidio, and about Dr. Zapata, who had delivered lutheran books to antonio de guzman yet when egadillo's trial ended august twenty one fifteen fifty two he was treated with singular moderation he was obliged publicly to abjure as heretical ten propositions which he admitted to have uttered subjecting himself to the penalty of relapse for reincidence eight more propositions he recanted as false and erroneous and seven he explained in a catholic sense all of these being more or less lutheran he was sentenced to a year's confinement in the castle of triana and never to leave spain for a year after release he was not to celebrate mass and for ten years he was suspended from preaching confessing and partaking in disputations death in fifteen fifty six saved him from a harsher fate although as we shall see his bones were exhumed and burnt in fifteen sixty the mildness of the inquisition shows that thus far there was no alarm to stimulate severity nor was there any cause for it 
we hear a good deal of the missionary efforts of the german or other heretics but up to this time there is slender trace of such work the only indication and that being a very dubious one that i have met with of such attempts is the case of gabriel de narbonne before the valencia tribunal in fifteen thirty seven he was a frenchman who had learned heresy during four years spent in germany and switzerland as a wandering mendicant in spain he spoke freely of his beliefs to all whom he met when arrested he confessed fully to all the leading tenets of lutherism and begged mercy after a year's confinement under threat of torture he stated that he had been sent by the swiss heretics to spain as a missionary there were three others one named beltran who was likewise in spain one was destined to venice and the other to savoy he had wandered he said on foot for two years through the whole peninsula from catalonia and navarre to lisbon disseminating his heresies wherever he could find a listener especially among the clergy had the tribunal believed his story he would have been sharply tortured to discover his converts as it was he was merely reconciled with irremissible prison while his nephew another gabriel de narbonne who spontaneously denounced himself as having been perverted by his uncle was reconciled with spiritual penance and forbidden to leave the kingdom it would seem as though the holy see were desirous to arouse the spanish inquisition to a sense of its inertness in combating these dangerous innovations for in fifteen fifty one julius the third sent to inquisitor-general valdez a brief empowering him to punish lutheranism irrespective of the station of the offender a wholly superfluous grant for he already possessed by his commission all requisite faculties except as regards bishops and the case of carranza shows that they were not included in the brief if the object was to stimulate it failed for the cases of lutheranism continued for some time to be few and mostly of foreigners the year fifteen fifty eight may be taken as a turning point in the history of spanish protestantism and up to that time the industrious researches of ernst schiffer into the records of all the tribunals have only resulted in finding an aggregate of a hundred and five cases of which thirty-nine are of natives and sixty-six of foreigners of course in the chaos of archives no such statistics can be regarded as complete but on the other hand the tribunals were in the habit of classing as lutheranism any deviation even in a minor degree from dogma or observance or any careless speech such as those of which we have examples above as a whole the figures are significant of the slender impressions thus far made on spanish thought by the intense religious excitement beyond the pyrenees a few individuals mostly those who have been abroad are all that can be regarded as really infected with the new doctrines thus far there had been nothing of organization of little associations or conventicles in which those of common faith assembled for worship for mutual encouragement or for planning measures to disseminate their beliefs but something of the kind was beginning to develop in seville 
where the teachings of Rodrigo de Valero and Dr. Igadillo gradually spread through the widening circle. After Igadillo's death in 1556, the leading figure was Dr. Constantino Ponce de la Fuente, who was elected by the chapter to the vacant magistral canonry, and who was a man of the highest consideration, having served Charles V in Flanders as confessor and chaplain. Another important personage was Maestro Garcia Arias, known as Dr. Blanco, prior of the Deronomite House of San Isidro, all of the brethren of which became converts, as well as some of the inmates of the Geronimite nunnery of San Paula. An influential beneficiary of the Church of San Vincente, named Francisco di Safra, also joined the group, which, although largely composed of clerics, secular and regular, contained many laymen. We hear of two rag-pickers, Francisco and Antonio de Cardenas, while there was also a noble of the highest rank, Don Juan Ponce de Leon, of the great house of the Dukes of Arcos. Every class of society was represented in the little band, which numbered altogether over a hundred and twenty, besides Dr. Juan Perez de Pineda and Julian Hernandez, who had sought safety in flight, probably about the time of the arrest of Dr. Igadillo. In 1557, from some cause, suspicion was aroused and the tribunal commenced a secret investigation, which seems to have reached the heirs of some of the inculpated, and eleven of the Geronimites of San Isidro sought safety in flight, among whom were two who became noteworthy, Cipriano de Valera and Cassiodoro de Rina. This increased the suspicion, and certain writings of Dr. Constantino were subjected to examination. They had passed current without animadversion for ten years, but in 1557, a carta acordada, addressed to all the tribunals, called attention to them, followed, January 2, 1558, by a list of books to be burnt, to which were added three of his to be seized but not burnt. Finally, the tribunal was able to obtain positive evidence against individuals. Juan Perez, in the refuge of Geneva, had been busy in preparing propagandist works. To convey them into Spain was a perilous task, but it was undertaken by Julian Hernandez, who had spent some years in Paris, had then wandered into Scotland and Germany, and had become a deacon in the Walloon Church of Frankfurt. The story that he reached Seville with two large casks of Perez Testament, Psalms and Catechism, is probably an exaggeration, but he brought a supply of them, reaching Seville in July 1557. The books were deposited outside the walls and were smuggled in at night, or were brought in by Don Juan Ponce de Leon in his saddlebags. Julian made a fatal blunder with a letter and a copy of the Imagen de Anticristo, addressed to a priest, which he delivered to one of the same name, who was a good Catholic. When the latter saw, as the frontispiece, the Pope kneeling to Satan, and reading that good works were useless, he hastened with the dangerous matter to the Inquisition, 
which made good use of the clue thus furnished. Don Juan promptly fled to Ekeja and Julian to the Sierra Monrina, but they were tracked and brought back on October 7th. The other arrests speedily followed, and the prisons began to fill. With its customary unwearied patience, the tribunal traced out all the ramifications of the heretical conventicle, arresting one after another, as denunciations of accomplices were obtained from prisoners. Dr. Constantino and his friend Dr. Blanco were not seized until August 1558, and the first auto de fe was not celebrated until September 24, 1559. End of section 50